Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... They're like, well, you live a certain way, motivated by God's grace and goodness to me. No other reason and His presence in my life, right? Love changes everything, right? It changes everything. I I don't chase girls because God told me not to. I don't chase girls because I love Pam. That's why. The love changes everything. So when you realize that God loves you and you start to love Him, you start to live more for him and a lot of times you don't even realize it in today's message pastor jim will teach what can change our life here on earth when we learn the promises of god and the sacrificial love of jesus we can receive the hope of a savior and the hope of heaven our lives are transformed by jesus's love the bible says that those who are in christ are not of this world but they are citizens of heaven as we wait for the return of jesus our savior we can enjoy here on earth the citizenship of heaven and the hope of our transformation in Christ. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of Philippians with part two of his message entitled, Joyful Citizens. You're a citizen of a different land. We have to conduct ourselves as citizens of a different place. Not obnoxious, but citizens of a different place. Back in chapter one, verse 27, the apostle said to them, remember, a couple weeks ago we did this, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What's he telling us? When, by putting it in the present tense, he's saying, live now like you're already there. Live like you know who you are, like you know where you're going to. Don't live like a citizen of earth, a very, very different value system. Live as a citizen of heaven. But this is very important in reading the Bible. And I think sometimes, you know, I always joke that we, you know, sometimes we know enough Bible just to make us dangerous. And this is where we have to be very careful. I mean, the gospel message is this, that God put us on earth, gave us ways to live, and we just said, well, you know, we're going to do our own thing. And God in his great love sent Jesus Christ, his son. God himself became a man, lived a perfect life in our place, died on the cross, took the punishment for our sins in our place, and to prove that God was satisfied with what he had done, God raised him from the dead, ascended him into heaven. But we are to notice that, and there is a sense which you'll never become a follower of Jesus unless you understand that you have sinned before a holy God. James said, you sin one time, you're done. You're out. That's not too good, huh? That's not too good. So we can go around telling everybody we're a good person, but that's not heaven's assessment. And so there is the guilt part of the message of Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ solves the guilt problem on the cross. But sometimes I think that when we're not really thinking the way the Bible thinks, we tend to only want to talk to people about the guilt part. And notice here that the motivation he's giving the Philippian church for living the Christian life is not fear. The motivation here for living the Christian life is not obligation The motivation here is hope. The motivation for living for God here, right, is the hope of heaven. 
Now, there are other motivations, but that's the one he's talking about here. So only a follower of Jesus has the hope of heaven. That's because if you're taking notes, number two, they have the hope of a savior. We're still in verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, present tense, from which we also eagerly wait, and he loads this up with who he describes Jesus to be. The Savior, the Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I actually debated, and don't worry for those of you who have plans to sit in front of the TV and watch football today, I'm not going to do it, but I actually debated to do the entire message on just the second half of this verse. If you're a guest with us today, you go, oh, you couldn't do that. Well, you need to talk to the other people who go here, right? <laughs> and so, and why? Because even Christians today are so obsessed with today, okay, that we have lost sight of something very, very important. He says, we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second coming that the Bible promises that Jesus will come back. But being so obsessed with today, we've largely lost touch with the second coming. We're just too crazy focusing on the here and the now. We're being marketed to do that, correct? We're so focused on the here and now, we're not looking forward to the future. Now, when you read the New Testament, the return of Jesus Christ is a huge theme the return of Jesus Christ was hugely on the minds for the early church because the religious leaders were treating them terribly. Other religious people were treating them terribly. What do you mean I need a savior? I'm fine, shut up, right? The Roman Empire said you people are turning this place upside down when they were really turning the world right side up. They're persecuting them. And so what are they doing? They're saying, Caesar's not our king. We're waiting for our king to return. Again, we have to understand that this in the first century is dramatic language. Because in the first century, do you know who was the Lord, the savior, and the king? Barack Obama, right? No, not Barack Obama. No president, no government official really was, is going to make this happen. But for them and their worldview, it was Caesar. Say anything else, we'll chop your head off. But a citizen of heaven was looking for someone else to come. And so the response of such people who are waiting for the return of Jesus is not indifference. You're not like, you know, you're like, dude, you should get a job. And you're like, nah, what's the point? What's the point? It's all going to burn. Jesus is coming back anyway. That's not living with your mindset on heaven because the Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. It doesn't mean you're in sin if you're out of work, but you must be willing to work. And so the response is not indifference. It's not lukewarmness. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to sleep late today because Jesus, not today, Jesus. No, not today, not today. Now, that's not the response. The response is faithfulness as you yearn for Jesus to return. 
And don't overthink it, guys. It's getting up on time for work. It's getting the kids ready. It's getting out the door. It's showing up to work on time. It's doing it your job, not bellyaching about the boss at the water cooler, you know, not taking you know, two-hour lunches. You know, I have a friend who works. He goes, yeah, they changed my hours from eight to five. I said, really, what's up with that? Eight to six, because they went to a four-day week. He goes, it doesn't matter. We still come in at nine and leave at three. I said, now we just get an extra day off. No, that's not faithfulness. You know, cleaning your house, cutting your lawn. These are faithful things that we can bring the Lord into our life with, loving people, being generous, caring for others. So it's faithfulness. Now, several weeks back, probably months by now, we were in chapter one, and chapter one, verse six, is a verse that a lot of people have on their refrigerators and on their Bibles and on their, uh, you know, their desk at work and their dashboard. And we talked about it, and it says, being confident in this very good thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And you'll hear a lot of people say, you know, usually when they, they mess something up, instead of just owning it, they go, oh, God's at work. <laughs> he's faithful. He's going to complete the work in me. Do you know when he's going to complete it? The second coming. So if you're yearning for God to complete the work in you, you know what you should be yearning for? The second coming. Now, here's the problem with what we think of this. We think, oh, good, everything's going to be better then. Hallelujah. You know, all of a sudden you're like this wild Pentecostal. Oh, hallelujah, it's all over, right? (laughs) The second coming is not the day where you are all excited because you're not who you are now. The second coming is the day when God honors his son. It's the day when God honors his excellence on the cross when the whole world will see who Jesus Christ really is. And that's a day we need to look forward to. But I think the problem is is in the way the apostle words it here. You know, we've joked with this before. There's just certain things that don't work, right? You know, jumbo shrimp. How can they be jumbo shrimp? Microsoft works, doesn't, you know. But (laughs) just wait till your computer freezes. You won't think it works. And, And here he says... We eagerly wait. How many of you eagerly wait? Oh, not too many hands going up right now, okay? You know, just everything. We're just so impatient with everything. You know, it's just, you know, those of us who are a little bit older, we remember these things called TV dinners, wretched things that'll kill you. And so, and you know, mom was happy because she could cook dinner in 15 minutes. And then the microwave came out. And now that blasted thing takes so long, right? Let's just have cold cuts. It's faster, right? So we just can't wait. And something we're not good at, and I wonder if that's our problem as Christians when it comes to joy. Because we're expecting everything to be so immediate instead of realizing that things just take time. You know, and as I read the Bible, as I'm now a Christian a lot longer, you know, as I get older and, You know, I read the Bible and I expect my life to always be fine. And then I read about Jesus and he suffers and he's raised from the dead and he goes to heaven. And and the apostles and the early church, they suffer and then they die and then they go to be with the Lord. You know, it's when I see that this life has a lot of problems, but the best is yet to come. This world actually is beginning to make sense to me. How scary is that? (laughs) I'm actually starting to see it for what it is. And while we tend to, as Americans, because we hate being uncomfortable for more than 30 seconds, we are saying, Lord, take this away. You know what the apostles in the early church prayed? Come, Lord Jesus, come. That's what they prayed. 
They weren't just take this away. They were like, Lord, just do everything. Now, skeptics, and, and if you are a skeptic and you're here with us today, I am very thankful that you are here. I walked into a church when I was 28 years old, very much a skeptic. Uh, <laughs> heaven was probably laughing. Oh, someday he'll be Pastor Jim. And so, and so I walked into a church and I was very, very skeptical. But as I heard the Bible just simply taught, which I'd never heard it before. Many of you have come to this church and said, I never heard a person just take the Bible and just explain it. I realized that it, what, what I thought was in there was not. That I was way, way off. And that's why I tell people I'm not religious, because I'm not. Because I'm not. They're like, well, you live a certain way, motivated by God's grace and goodness to me. No other reason and his presence in my life, right? Love changes everything, right? It changes everything. I, I don't chase girls because God told me not to. I don't chase girls because I love Pam, that's why. Love changes everything. So when you realize that God loves you and you start to love him, you start to live more for him. And a lot of times you don't even realize it. You don't even realize it. And so skeptics will read the Bible and they will say this. They'll say, you know, the New Testament writers thought that Jesus would return in their lifetimes. Let me give you the answer to that question. And the answer is simply this, because the Bible permits no other view. It permits no other view. Every one of us should live our lives in light of what we call imminent return. We should live our lives as if Jesus is going to return before this church service is over. And we should live our lives that we're going to live to a ripe old age and we have an opportunity to influence more people. Right? That we have an opportunity to tell more people how to become citizens of heaven by putting their trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus' return is not about guys making money on television with all their goofy conspiracy theories. It's not about forgetting that Jesus is coming. It's not about even people who would say they're Christian just denying that he's coming. It's not about Jesus, you know... Not today, Jesus, it's a bad day. <laughs> I got coupons, I'm going to the mall. You know, it's just not, that's not what it's about. No, the second coming of Jesus for a committed follower of Jesus is source of great hope and source of great joy. And when the Bible talks about it, it's interesting because you look at it, people say, oh, the Old Testament is this bloodbath. And then you have to realize that they're fighting wicked, wicked people. And, and in the New Testament, we see God coming in judgment, and it's kind of scary. And, but the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, said to the Thessalonians, comfort one another with these words. So a Christian should be so comforted that Jesus has promised to come back, while a non-Christian really has to say, when he comes back, am I really going to heaven? Am I really going to heaven? You see, it's important to see the guys who set the dates, right? Just plug in your baloney meter and just say, listen, it's, he's wrong, right? What we've learned from the past is we haven't learned from the past. Every guy who has predicted the dates has been wrong, except me, right? I told you, I know exactly when he's coming back, right on time, right on time, right? We don't know the date, 
Why don't we know the date? Because we're supposed to live every day like it could be today. Every day like it could be today. Is there anything sadder than the people who lost the loved ones in 9-11 who said, I never got to say goodbye that morning? That is so sad. Friends, we are not guaranteed today or tomorrow. Man, keep those short accounts. Tell people you love them. Run out the driveway and say goodbye. My kids are like, Dad, why are you doing this? You know, they don't know that when you have kids and they drive, every time they leave out the driveway, oh, God, please. (laughs) But you never know. You never know. We don't want to wait till the last minute. If some of us knew that Jesus was coming back, you know, February 15th of next year, some people would go, not that day, it's my birthday. Other people would say, okay, I got months to get ready. That's not the way God wants us to live. That's why he didn't give us the date. The signs of the time, yes, and they're here, and they've been in every generation because God wants us to live that way for him. God wants us to be prepared to meet him. Not to make anybody feel guilty, not condemning people, just soul searching. If Jesus came right now, would you be ready to meet him? Would you be ready to meet him? And look who we're waiting for. Like I said, he loads it up, the Savior, the Lord, Jesus Christ. He told Titus, it's our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the apostles got it right when they wrote. They said that, you know, heaven's going to provide, there's going to be no more pain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I mean, everything, any of you, how many, everything hurts. I was like, they told me this is what happened when I got older, but I never believed anybody. I thought I was exempt. Everything hurts. You're going to be reunited with some of your loved ones. Some, not all, some. The ones who had trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But the apostles had it right because the most important thing about heaven is Jesus is going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. And that, when the apostles in the early church suffered, that understanding of Jesus being there overshadowed everything about this life and the next life. Because citizens of heaven, joyful citizens, have the hope of a savior. Well, we went from the hope of heaven to the hope of a savior. Number three, joyful citizens of heaven have the hope of a transformation. Verse 21, talking about the savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, Jesus, will transform. What does it mean something's transformed? It's changed, right? will transform our lowly body. So this body we have now will be refashioned, re-engineered, retooled, remade, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. What does it mean when something conform? It means made like. The Bible teaches that when Jesus rose from the dead, he walked around in a physical body, different than the body he had before he was raised from the dead. According to the working, some versions say power, by which he, Jesus, is able to subdue all things to himself. Now that sentence right there, those words at the end of that verse, that's another sermon. Don't worry, not today. Behave yourselves and I won't give it today. Now the Bible teaches us, if you were here with us a couple years ago, we went through the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. We looked at this extensively, that for a committed follower of Jesus Christ, our lowly bodies will be transformed into a body like the one Jesus had when he rose from the dead. 
For now, we have sin, we have sickness, we have death. They haunt us. But for a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be a day when that stuff will no longer haunt us. Interesting thing, the enemy of someone who's not a believer in Jesus is what? It's death. It's death. But in the strangest of ways, for a Christian, death is our friend. Why? Because it's the way that God brings us home. It's, if you will, the vehicle that he uses. We go to be with him. The Bible says that when a Christian dies, they are absent from their body, you know, present with the Lord. That's why I go to funerals sometimes. I know you're your pastor, you go to a lot of funerals. And it's so sad to watch people walking up by the casket, you know, and I'm just used to it. I remember when my dad died, people are like, doesn't he look great? I'm like, no, he doesn't. He doesn't look good at all. That's my dad. I never saw him look like that. You know, and, and my dad was on the go. Makes me look really mellow. And so, and so you're like, really? Oh, yeah. And, and, and that, he looked terrible. He looked terrible. But the Bible says that we will be absent from the body, present with the Lord. That means our body stays in one place and our spirit that has been, been born again goes to be with the Lord. That's why we really need to think of heaven less as a place and more of a person that spiritually we go to be with Jesus. But then we learned when the second coming comes, when Jesus returns, that's when our bodies and our spirits are reunited and we get a new body and we are in effect a new person without all of the trappings of earth. Quite simply, it's this. I know a lot of people think, well, listen, I'm going to heaven, that's it, shut up, don't tell me anymore. But you didn't get yourself here, did you? You're not going to get yourself out of here. And if Jesus had to get a new body suitable for heaven, then you and I need one too, right? He got a new spacesuit, if you will. He got the body suitable for heaven. And so our bodies are not equipped for heaven and the spiritual resurrection that happens when someone comes to faith is a picture of the physical resurrection that will happen in the next life. But these things are only possible by the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Many of you, this is your story. (laughs) I told you, I went into a church 28 years old. My friends, I became a Christian when I was 29. Party dude. Everybody thinks I was raised Christian. I always laugh when they think that. I'm like, would I look like a Boy Scout or something like that? And, and so, but I wasn't that at all. I was the party dude chasing girls. You know, don't think of a bad guy on a multi-million dollar company. You know, got no, no down on my luck. And I had it all wired together, right? And then everybody's like, what happened to you? But without saying Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, Bible, Word of God, I, would, I don't know. I don't know. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I can't even really explain it because it's the transforming power of God as the Spirit of God overtook, if you will, all of my inclinations. There's still a lot I'm fighting through, but with God's help. But in the same way, the Spirit of God is gonna physically do this with our bodies in the next life. And I love this, I love this, I love this about the Bible. Despite all the people who are going around saying they're Christians who really don't believe that Jesus died and rose again, who really don't believe that God's people are going to be in heaven with a new body, right? The Bible doesn't let you wiggle out of this. Not at all. The Bible teaches 
a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and a bodily resurrection of all those who call upon his name. And here's the thing. If that's not true, the apostle Paul said, then don't believe a word of the book. He said, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you are completely wasting your time here today. But if he did, you need to come to him and put your trust in him. You see, resurrection is one of the great hopes of all those who would call Christ Savior. Jesus' resurrection reminds us that this is not our home. Well, that concludes the teaching portion of today's broadcast of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Moores Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Join us next time as Pastor Jim continues teaching through the book of Philippians. You can learn more about Changed by Love and Pastor Jim by visiting our website. The web address is changedbyloveradio.com. Again, the web address is www.changedbyloveradio.com. Changed by Love exists because of the generous donations of our listeners, and we would like to ask all of our listeners who have never written us to preferably consider writing us today and let us know that you are listening to the broadcast. In fact, many of your letters are read to our congregation to encourage them in this ministry. You can write to us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You can also give us a call for more information, request resources, or for prayer at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. You can also send us an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. If you are in the Morris County, New Jersey area, we would love to have you visit us. We are located in the center of Morris County on Route 15 South. That's all for today. Until next time, God bless you, and our prayer is that you too would be changed by love.